everyone, and welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I am Shania Oljukba from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Bendia, who is the head product owner at Swedbank, Pontus, who is a design director at Esata, and Raquel, who is a design lead at EasyPark. And we're here to discuss the importance of user testing, how to utilize it to enhance the user experience. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are and what you do. Bindia, do you want to kick us off? Thank you, Shana. Hi, I'm Bindia. I'm working as head product owner in Swedbank, and my responsibilities in Swedbank are looking after all the channels that our users use. I actually love writing, and I have a few of our published articles in product management. And my Zen zone is painting. So when I want to relax, I paint. Thank you. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Bindia. Right. Really need to read up on them articles as well. Pontus, yeah. do you want to go next? Yes, thank you. My name is Pontus Gager, and I work as a design director at Esatu, which is a digital communication agency in Stockholm, but we also have an office in Krakow in Poland. I've been in the business for about 20 years, and I've been working at a couple of different agencies, mainly as a consultant. And for the last years, I've also been working as a design leader in different roles. My passion is creating the conditions to improve and simplify as much as possible in people's everyday life. I really like the idea of using design to make a difference, both for society and the climate and for common people. If I could save just a single minute in a stressed person's life, that I'm happy. Great, amazing. Thank you, Pontus. Raquel, do you want to go next? Yeah, um, hello everybody. Uh, I'm Raquel Martin. Uh, my, I'm a design lead in, at EC Park. Uh, and before EC Park, I've been working in other uh, Nordic companies like um, Spotify and Volvo Car Mobility. Uh, my professional experience starts around scaling the design function. Uh, while ensuring the quality and uh, a lot of uh, bringing the impact on business outcomes, uh, trying to focus on an iterative and data-oriented approach. Uh, I've been working mostly with B2C, B2B platforms, and I really enjoy mentoring and uh, mentoring designers and guiding them through the through the nuances of design language systems and cross-platform collaboration. And um, I really, I really enjoy music. It's something that I really, really like, and is a big part of my life. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have the gift of the rhythm or of the, uh, so I just enjoy listening to it. <laughs> Amazing! Thank you, Raquel. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. So everyone here has brought a question or statement in regards to the importance of user testing, how to utilize it to enhance the user experience. So as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind this. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Bindia's question. Bindia brought the question, what is the difference between user testing of a new concept versus user testing of an existing product for improvement? And what different types of user testing can be applied to different situations like focus groups, one-to-one user interviews and surveys? So Bindia, where did this question come from? And thank you, Shanae, again. Um... Like I said, that I work with nine product teams in my organizations currently. And whenever we talk about user testing, the only thing that comes in everyone's head is we need to recruit people, we need to show them a design, and we need to do a user testing. And I am always trying to figure out, okay, but there are different ways to do user testing. You can do uh, surveys, you can do one-on-one interviews, you can do focus group. And it feels like uh, the, the, the idea of user testing in everyone's head is that when you talk about user testing, you recruit people, you ask them to test for usability of your uh, design and yeah that's it so i thought let's start this podcast with discussing different types of user testing that can be done and what are those that can be used for like you're testing new concept or testing an uh, improvement in an existing design yeah definitely great way to start the podcast and great question so raquel do you want to kick us off um yeah uh so from i think it's a it's a great question because everybody understands user testing on a different level and uh probably the way to align on on a common ground on how to understand user testing is about focusing on the goals which what do you want to learn from from that user testing and uh based on what you want to learn then you can choose the tools or the or the approach that you take to that user testing i see it in, in my head it's like a gradient from the moment on the things that you don't know and the things that you know so uh the, the main difference for me is like when you explore a new concept you don't know anything you don't even know what you don't know while when you're using testing on a product that has assisted or is more mature then you know more things so the the approach is has to be different and, and probably the iterative process needs to have some adaptations yeah yeah great thank you for that raquel pontus what's your take on vindia's question well a, a user test of a concept is more explorative i think uh i mean you perform a test because you need to gather more insights uh, and validate different ideas and so on um and if the concept is in early stage uh, you might need to use the test result as a, uh, to be able to determine in which overall direction you should proceed. I mean, kind of a rough uh, prototype kind of test. Um, if it's in a later phase, you might need to test functions more in detail in a more finished prototype. Uh, 
in Figma, for example, uh, both are important, of course. Um, but I think a good idea could be to uh, define together uh, in the beginning of the project which is the most important most important part to test uh, to decide that together. Um, is it the overall visual experience of the brand, or is it the search function, or what is it? Uh, we usually work with uh, effect mapping to define this. So, um, but from my experience, uh, testing on an existing product is somewhat easier in a way, since you have, you know, real users with real needs, and you also have a real product with real data um, to test and to refer to, uh, and it has no limitations uh, if you compare it to a Figma prototype that might not be fully functional parts of it. Um, so testing on an existing solution is more about collecting feedback, use service and analyze data, and that doesn't require that much preparations. But regardless yeah. of the type of test you perform, it's of course very important that you are responsive and actually adjust your product based on the test results and the feedback. So you really act on the feedback. Yeah, no, definitely. Great answer there, Pontus. Bindia, do you want to maybe add on what Pontus and Mikhail have just said? Uh, yes, thank you for the explanation. I mean, I really get uh, how to do I was really interested in the fat mapping that you described about Pontus. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on how do you do it? Uh, the effect mapping. Effect mapping, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's actually uh, trademarked by a Swedish, other Swedish agency uh, uh, called InUse, I think. Uh, they use it, and um, we use it as well. <laughs> it's actually a way to you start with the uh, the effects you want to achieve. The, the, uh, it, could, it can be a, a business goal or whatever. We want to increase the number of uh, subscriptions or whatever. So that's the first step. And the next step is to what uh, target groups or user users uh, are involved in achieving this goal. So that's the next one. And after that, uh, what um, uh, what type of behavior or what needs do the users have? Uh, by doing this, you can also um, you're also supposed to prioritize it. So I think, yeah, I mean, the, when you're doing this, you can also, uh, I mean, the the most prioritized user goal uh, automatically uh, becomes the most uh, important target groups. Uh, that also uh, are connected to the most important needs and stuff. And then it's easier to also uh, prioritize what's the most important thing to test and stuff like that. So I think that's a good way of connecting everything. Yeah, well, that's really interesting there, Pontus. Raquel, do you use um, effect mapping? Is that what it is? Effect mapping? Yeah. 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 No, I, I never used that framework or, or tool before. Um, it. Yeah, I see it uh, similar to other frameworks and exploratory tools that are out there on on the space of uh, discovery for the on discovery phase for for a design project. Uh, but yeah, I think the most important thing is to understand what you want to learn, especially on the exploratory phase. So um, if you have a user a, a new concept, you want to explore uh, what you don't know and understand what you don't know and, and what are the metrics that you should be pending. Uh, while when you are more on the refinement phase on a concept that is existing, a product that is existing, you have the metrics, you know which metrics you want to bring in the right direction or experiment with. 
Um, so no, I think it's it's very interesting, especially to to understand those unknowns that are the key to to get a a winning concept uh, that hasn't been tested before. So yeah, um, I don't know if it's a digital tool or if it's a more framework canvas, but it, it would be really cool to to learn more about it. Yeah, definitely amazing. Vindia, now that you've heard everyone's answers, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, I was actually thinking about I uh, one scenario that I have been particularly struggling with in my uh, journey, in, you know, where defining a product or discovering uh, some improvements and then testing it is that, uh, uh, like, we have users or we have our product for a very long time. Our first app was launched in 90s. So uh, we have our product for a very, very long time. And our users are usually creatures of habit. Uh, so and they use, they like what they use. We have great ratings on app stores and, you know, we have good all uh, uh, idea about what, but when we are doing the test, it's usually out of their comfort zone if we are using the exact same users that are using the features that we have currently. Uh, and most of the time it's like, but why do you want to change this? We are really comfortable using this. Um, how, I mean, how do you have the same challenges of habit or bias towards current design versus improvements or how do you tackle this? No, yeah, that is a really interesting yeah. question actually. Um, yeah, th this is, yeah, I, I can, I resonate a lot because I, I've seen this happening on, on real time. Uh, people get really attached to their favorite ways of doing things. So you have two things to do it, the, to do this. Uh, basically trying to get people who never have used your product and trying to <laughs> test them uh, with a fresh eyes. Or um, instead of asking the people directly, hey, what do you like? What do you like this thing that you are seeing? Bringing them more onto the, you need to perform a task. Like if you were to complete this form or if you were to complete this task that uh, requires going from A to B on a flow, what would you do on this interface? So then you switch the focus from, do you like this or don't you like it? To, are you able to complete a specific task? And then we can evaluate whether if that task completion is more efficient or more pleasant or mm, performs better in some sort of uh, metric. So one one way to 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 try to uh, make people don't think about that something is new, it's about telling me tell me about how you will do a certain task instead of uh, tell me if you like it or not what you are seeing. So be action-oriented rather than, than um, impression-oriented. And then another tool is uh, bringing bringing new new people that never has interacted with your with your um, with your tool, with your platform, with your app, with uh, whatever you're trying to test. Of course, depending on what you want to learn, that might not be uh, what you need to do because maybe you want to test with already uh, users. So it depends a little bit on what you're trying to to learn, right? Um, but great insight. Thank you. Like changing the way we ask the questions so they change their focus from exactly. if they like this or not. Instead, they focus on how easy what it was it to perform this task or how difficult was it to perform this task. Thank you. Oh, 
definitely that's a really great way of sort of thinking about it as well amazing mm-hmm. Pontus do you have any advice for Bindia? Yeah I, I totally agree uh, because some users tend to um, get more into taste rather than <laughs> the actual uh, uh, task that they should perform. I mean, if if you should buy something or whatever, I mean, and when you're testing, you're you're focusing more on oh, I don't like the 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 yellow ugly color or something. Uh, um, I mean, it shouldn't be about taste. It shouldn't be. It should be more about uh, the simplest way to perform this action or this task. I think. So uh, yeah, I fully agree. Amazing, great, and great question there as well, Bindia. Thank you. Amazing. So let's move on to the next question. So Pontus brought the question to the podcast. How can we best handle a situation where we have limited or no access to the users at all and still be as human-centered as we would like? So Pontus, where did this question come from? Well, uh, designers always strive to uh, put the human in center simply because the more we know about the users, the better solution we create. Uh, that's the truth. <laughs> and to be able to get these insights, we need to do a lot of research and interviews and use the tests and so on. But some organizations, at least some that I've worked with over the years, might have limited access to the users for some reason, where they might not even have users yet at all. For example, if it's a startup. Uh, for those organizations, especially the smaller ones, I guess, it might be quite overwhelming to spend a lot of time and money on an extensive pre-study with user tests and everything, since it can be quite time-consuming. And uh, even though there are good tools for user testing, but it's, it can be, still be a big thing for them. I mean, they might just want to get to, get to market as soon as possible, and they might already know exactly what problem they need to solve. And they just want us as an agency to help them with the actual solution. Is this, this something you recognize? Uh, and how do you usually deal with this situation? No, yeah, really interesting question there, Pontus, especially the fact that not everyone has access to users, like you say. So, Raquel, what's your take on the question? Yeah, yeah no, this is a, a super interesting uh, point. And I I, I think it's, it's very key to also be able to handle the expectations of this uh, small company. Well, it's, it's small ideas that doesn't get the market fit yet. So what do you do when you don't have a market fit? So you don't know who are your archetypes of users. This is an incredibly, uh, incredibly interesting question. Uh, what I've seen that uh, some companies have done in the past, especially when I think about Volvo car mobility, where they were testing um, concepts that were were not there yet created, and they were trying to find the market fit for for an idea that was not there yet done by anyone. Uh, it was one thing called analogous testing, like you try to test uh, companies or services or ideas that are close to you. Like for example, if you are trying to do something around mobility, you might want to test uh, users that are already using bike sharing uh, in order to learn more how these people that is already using some share of uh, some sort of uh, mobility sharing uh, service could use a car mobility sharing. So you try to find analogous or close by services that somehow uh, are similar to what you are trying to test. This is a, analogous research. It's a very interesting field that 
uh, one one UX researcher in in my previous team um, showed me, and and I think it's super interesting when you are in this point of I don't have the market fit. I don't know who are my users. I don't know we what user should I be uh, talking to or directing to. Then there is another thing uh, called um, more like a it's, it's secondary research, and this is all about yeah the um, benchmarking, competitor analysis, uh, what what other companies are doing that has some resemblance, some some close similarity what you are trying to do, segmentations of markets, basically everything regarding data on the field that you are trying to understand better. For example, mobility, which is the 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 things that I know the best. So what are the trends? What are the 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 industry trends that are around this field and what I can learn from that um, to understand the macro trends around the people who interacts with with this field. So I would say, yeah, secondary research and analogous research are two interesting tools when you don't have this market fit defined yet. Yeah, great idea there. Great. Obviously, I've never heard of any of them before. So definitely like worth looking into if people are struggling with that. Bindia, what's your take on Pontus' question? Uh, first of all, I completely agree. It's a big challenge. Uh, and when you were asking this question, I actually remembered a podcast that I was listening to, another podcast about venture capitalist and startup. And one really interesting thing the venture capitalist said in that podcast is a lot of startups comes to us and tells us that their idea is unique. They don't have the market uh, defined yet. There are no users, so they don't know. The, they don't have the data. Uh, that how to put how much will be the uh, TAM is what she talked about, like, you know, how much will be the market that they can target for. But she said, as um, if you are a company that doesn't have a uh, competition in your own segment, then you are looking into a very narrow space yourself. Uh, for example, if you are she gave a really good example. She said, if you are looking into Netflix or if you are building a Netflix, you would think that your competition is maybe HBO or, you know, SVT Play or, you know, all those other uh, apps that are also streaming services. But what you will not think about is that your competition is actually TikTok because I would rather sit on the sofa and rather scroll on a TikTok instead of like switching on the TV and putting on Netflix if I just had 15 minutes or 30 minutes of my time to spend. So if we can like broaden our uh, scope and not look at the direct competitor, but the indirect competition and figure out where that those users are and try to like see why these users are preferring to use those services. Maybe we can have like a good idea of where to start with our user testing or, you know, wow, what is it that tickles them or what is it that they like? So that was also one really that stuck with me, that the information stuck with me. And I think it's really relevant uh, to think about not just direct competition, but other services that can, can take your user's attention instead of giving your user the attention of, to your service. No, definitely. I suppose it's a lot about out-the-box thinking as well. Like you say, not direct competitors, just other ways that other people might actually be taking your users from you in a sense so mm. no definitely good point there Pontus after hearing these answers would you like to add anything else or ask any other questions yeah thank you for really good answers I really like the idea of uh, as you said both of you actually that 
broaden the, the perspective and uh, not only look for competitors uh, in the same business or same uh, industry, but what we actually do is uh, uh, we sometimes propose uh, to have a post-study instead of a pre-study, <laughs> which means that uh, if we know more or less what we should create, it can sometimes be just efficient uh, to skip most of the pre-study and instead focus on getting a first release out as soon as possible. Uh, and this first release should, of course, be a so-called MVP, minimum viable product, which means that it should be as simple and minimalistic as possible, but it should still be stable enough and return some kind of value for the organization. Uh, this value must, of course, be defined or at least verified, uh, but the solution could actually be based on hypotheses on best practices or even assumptions. Um, but if you choose to go this way, it's very important to consider this MVP release as the first of several recurring releases in a so-called build, measure, learn loop, which means that you need to focus on collecting every uh, possible feedback you can from people who are using this first solution. And of course, track everything from start with Google Analytics as well. Uh, then learn from it and improve the solution and then do a, uh, a new release every second or maybe every third week, depending on the team capacity. Uh, by doing this, uh, we make it possible to become at least as relevant as, uh, to the users as uh, we would have been with a regular pre-study. And we still have the opportunity to do user tests. But again, as we were talking about earlier, with the real users, we'll test a real solution uh, that contains real data. Uh, and in this way, the organization uh, can save money by not spending it on a pre-study and instead invest it in recurring improvements uh, of the product based on feedback. In other words, doing a post-study. Um, but of course, you need to be brave to do this. And it only works if you have a clear picture of the main problem we're going to solve and that the, main, uh, the, the team has experience in building similar solutions so we can make reasonable assumptions in the beginning. Um, yeah, I would so say that's that the one way we use of... to tackle it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I would say that one risk of, of that approach of uh, uh, building and then test um, is that people can fall in love with their solution. So you also need to be ready to kill your solution if it doesn't bring the expected uh, returns that, that you have made in your hypothesis. And that's very, very hard to do when you are on a company because no one wants to uh, well, it's very hard to build something and then um, acknowledge that it has gone uh, not on the right direction. So I, I think it's a great uh, technique. I personally never seen it uh, in working in, well, I have seen hybrids of it working in real life, but my experience is that people tend to fall in love with the solution. And then it's very, very, very difficult to kill your darlings and, and um, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Bindia, have you had experience with this technique? Um, um, both yes and no, because we have already established products or, you know, even before when I worked in other companies, I worked uh, uh, in TipTap and they had products and had the users. But uh, I understand what uh, Pontus is trying to say. Um, I And I completely agree that if your idea is solid, if you know that it is solving a pain of a user, then only you can go ahead and uh, do a post-study and create, you know, develop something before you even test it. But um, uh, like Raquel is saying, that it can be so that because the idea is yours, you can 
always think that it's the best idea and you know always fall in love with your solution instead of thinking uh being pragmatic or you know being logical in uh, when you're testing and if that happens then i think the build learn explore cycle will be to improve the product that's not working on its core instead of like you know you will just try to improve maybe this is not working maybe the home page is not good enough maybe the uh, you know um, explanation is not good enough and that is something that we should avoid um and i think that's why the post study can instead include maybe if people are actually liking the product or not in, uh, i mean user testing comes secondary in the post study is what i'm thinking yeah hmm. i agree hey. and i really like what you said about uh, falling in love with with solutions i i totally uh, recognize that and uh, also the fact that even though uh, because you, you need to be very clear in the beginning if you're doing this that uh, the first release is just uh, an assumption. We don't know anything. Uh, so we need to be very, very, very <laughs> uh, eager to listen to the feedback and, and also act on every feedback we get. Uh, not every feedback, but we, we need to be very agile and, and um, flexible and change stuff all the time. Uh, so maybe you're right. Uh, I, I haven't never seen this work fully either, actually, <laughs> but hybrids of it. And uh, I think one of the uh, it, it would be really nice if it if it uh, if if it worked uh, for real sometime. But um, and I, yeah. I think in theory yes, but in reality it might be it might be tricky. Uh, and and also because uh, another thing I've noticed is that. Uh, when the actual release uh, is out, everyone is everyone is so fed up with this product yeah. and this uh, project, so they don't want to do anything with it for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's really hard to act on feedback. So, yeah, I think it, it can work on smaller uh, uh, projects, yeah. just a simple um, functions or, or, or a part of a, but not a whole big uh, solution. I don't think that's a good idea at all, actually. But I like the idea in theory. And it was really interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Amazing. So let's move on to the last question of the podcast. So Raquel brought the question to the podcast. What are the common challenges that businesses or individuals face when implementing user testing? And how can they navigate or overcome these obstacles? So Raquel, where did this question come from? Well, it comes from from the experience that I had across different companies and through through the career my career that I've seen common common night common challenges being repeated across different places and different teams. So um, I think the most common challenge that I witness is that uh, people don't know what type of user testing goes in which phase of the design process. This thing of the common alignment at the beginning that we talk. Uh, with the first question. And then there are misconceptions or misunderstandings around that user testing can be very expensive or that it can be very time consuming, or basically they don't have the pipelines in order to, to embed the user testing when it's needed, whether if it's more on the explorative phase or in the, on the evaluate, evaluative phase after you deliver something. So most of the time it's about the challenge that I've seen is that companies 
don't or, or teams don't know how to effectively implement the process of user testing and what user testing goes where in the process. Uh, and that applies on how to recruit people, uh, which people do you recruit, how do you avoid bias on recruiting, how do you avoid bias when interviewing, um, how, how do you create these uh, guidelines for, for interviewing the, the scripts. Uh, but also the, the tools, I mean, the, we have now more and more automatization tools that allows you to recruit users, for example. And um, I feel that there is no like uh, research ops, re operation ops, uh, most of the time orchestrating all of these governance processes systems. That's the most common challenge that I that I experienced and seen. Some companies has very good devs uh, operation people in place, but uh, smaller companies usually don't don't get it. And and then is the the our responsibility as designers to flag uh, the operational needs and governance needs that you need across the different design process. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, no, really interesting question, and keen to hear about everyone's challenges that they face with this. So. Pontus, do you want to start with your experiences? Yeah, I think it's a really uh, great uh, subject to discuss because there are a lot of challenges. Uh, I would say that the biggest challenge for me over the years is probably to get to perform a user test at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, because as I mentioned earlier, it can be both time consuming and sometimes expensive. And you were mentioning it as well. Uh, I feel like it seems like it uh, there is a general perception that user testing is complicated and should be complicated and require yeah, a lot right. of preparation. Uh, you need to write advanced instructions and you must have at least two focus groups and with people to, who match your personas or at least be part of the defined target groups and so on. Uh, and of course, it can be perceived as overwhelming for some organizations. Uh, and to overcome this, I've, uh, I've, I've sometimes used another word than user test to lower the threshold a bit like user feedback yes. or user dialogue uh, yeah. just to de-dramatize the whole thing um, because it doesn't have to be that complicated i mean if it's a, just a simple function like a menu or search field or something then you can test it on just about anyone i mean a colleague or a friend or a family member anyone <laughs> um, but in the case where where we do get the opportunity to do a regular user test, I would say that one of the biggest challenges is actually to find relevant test persons willing to spend their time and to find slots in their calendars uh, uh, just to test a half-finished Figma prototype. Uh, but I used to offer them something in return and encourage them uh, by emphasizing how important they are to our work and, and so on. Uh, but it, it, it can be hard. Uh, and time consuming. Um, another challenge is to be able to compile and interpret the test results in a way that uh, so that we can yeah. make good and relevant decisions. Uh, I mean, sometimes the result can be scattered or very unstructured and it can be difficult to understand exactly how, how to act on the result. Um, but this is uh, where I really think that we can benefit from AI. Uh, I'm actually very excited about what AI can do for us in terms of user tests and simulation of real user behavior. Uh, it would be really valuable to be able to get some human-like feedback on a prototype or even a final solution. 
And obviously there are there are tools for this already, but I haven't got the chance to try them out yet. Have anyone, any one of you tried these tools out? I've tried a couple of tools, uh, but it's not about uh, role playing user profiles. It's more about uh, compiling your insights and organize them by cluster of, of teams. In fact, uh, I, I, I read an article the other day about some AIs that are trying to uh, impersonate archetypes of uh, users so you can test over uh, those uh, non-real people. And they are not working very well because AI is not very good at imagining things. It's very good at finding the, the, the average or the median of what an answer could be or could not be. It's, it's basically mathematics and they define the, the in-between answer. So um, the, 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 the invented AI personas or archetypes were extremely biased and extremely non-human in a way. While the tools that compile the thematics by, by categories those were very good because what AI does very well is scanning all of this amount of information and then categorizing by by different items. Those works really, really well. And then you can have these repositories of knowledge, which is very difficult also in your organizations. Like, oh, we did our UX research one year ago. What happened with that? What were those insights? Uh, and if the person leaves or someone is not in that project anymore, then that knowledge is lost. So I think AI is very good for, for that. And also I think AI will be very good in order to schedule the interviews, to apply in the, uh, we give you this present, car present for, for attending to our focus group and those type of things, those automatization on the process. But I don't believe that will impersonate the human because, um, because they are not uh, create, I mean, they don't create new content they just replicate the content that, that is out there and it's very very biased at the moment extremely biased uh, and the archetypes are like terrible terribly biased in in the worst way possible um yeah that's yeah. what i also heard but it would mm. be really nice if it if it would work <laughs> maybe in the future yeah yeah i, yeah, well, I, I don't know yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think what I, I like to talk with real humans. I don't know if I want to talk with AIs, uh, but yeah, it's interesting, you know, interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Bindia, what challenges have you faced with user testing? Uh, I mean, Pontus and Akil put so many good points with user testing on the prototypes with actual users. I thought I would actually put forth our challenges with other kinds of user testing, which we ourselves don't call it user testing because Pontus is right. When you say user testing, yeah. people think, oh my God, it's such a big thing to do. But, you know, surveys from the user or, you know, we have analytic tools to identify heat mapping in on our very like uh, uh, channels, how people are using it and not using it. Uh, we also have uh, A-B testing tools that we integrate and then test the A-B version of our design and then see which one is working uh, better or getting more conversions and so those kind of stuff. So we are doing those kind of user testing, but there are also challenges there. Challenges are, first of all, it takes time to integrate and product teams are always chasing deadlines of, you know, delivering something out. And then when we want to 
Say, for example, do the A-B testing, we need to test it for a period of time, say a month or two, to decide which one is the right way to go forward. And then you see the result and then you define why where to go forward. They don't have that much of time to wait. Uh, uh, when it comes to like heat mapping and uh, analytic tools, we see the data. We see as a, and now I'm talking as a product person and product owner, we see the data that, you know, that people are maybe say looping around or people are uh, try, spending a lot of time here, maybe trying to understand where should they click and what should it do next. Um, but we are lacking insights on, and by insight, what I mean is that we all see the data, but who is going to tell us what to do next? with that data and um, um, and that happens when we do the user testing with actual users and there is UXR involved and CXR involved and all of them are creating the designs and you know uh, we are doing the user testing then we get the insights that okay and uh, this is where the user had difficulty to say for example navigate themselves or understand what to do next and we, and then they change the design accordingly and then they give us for development. But when it comes to say um, uh, this heat map analysis or this analytics, it's we we bring up those results and that's it. That's about it. Then we would like, okay, they are looping here. What do we do next? Uh, maybe make it more clear. But, you know, there there is no continuation there. It There is data, but there is no continuation on action and insight that, that I face as a biggest challenge in my job as product uh, management person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I feel very, yeah, it, it resonates a lot with me. For me, the, the biggest challenge is uh, tracing ca causality. So correlation is not causation. So tracing caus causality from, from the results, it's really hard because you need to be a data science person. You need to have the, inside, the, the, the help from, from the data inside teams. And, and I think that's a fairly new relationship. I've seen some companies that that try to in, to embed data insights into the design product development teams. But again, it's seen as very time consuming and hard to implement. And, and then a lot of data that sometimes is extracted from the user testing, it's really not good data. And I, so maybe you have here, but like, it's very easy to lie with data. <laughs> you can create your own narrative and your own lies with data. So I think, I would like to learn in to to establish these uh, causation causality effects on the data that I get from 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 the user testing because that is where where the interesting changes and action points can be taken uh, in consideration. Um, yeah, yeah, a really interesting point there, Pontus. Do you want to add anything to what McCallum and Dias just said? Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, thing because, uh, in my experience, it's the same with um, A/B tests. I mean, um, in theory, there it seemed fantastic, just like the post study. <laughs> um, but in reality, sometimes I mean, um, okay, this in the uh, in this case we got fifty percent thinking this and fifty percent thinking this, or forty nine versus fifty one or something. What are we going to do? And I mean, uh, so then again, it's up to the PO or something, 
uh, to decide what to do. I mean, I mean, in that case, I don't know. Have you performed any A/B tests with good results? I think it's hard. Um, it's yeah. never clear hundred percent that this is say eighty percent, ninety percent better, and this is ten percent. That I have never seen. It's usually sixty, forty, fifty-five, forty-five. I agree. <laughs> We're even closer. Yeah. No, I, I've seen A-B tests with results of 30, 30, 70, 85, something. Uh, but it's true that for A-B testing, you need to test very, very, very small changes. You can't, you, like, for example, a very, very tiny change, very, very tight, and just one thing at the time. You cannot present with a completely different version of, of one thing on an A-B test. Uh, so the group practices of A-B testing are are tricky and are hard to master and i think many teams think they know how to do a b testing but they don't really know how to do it and my my recommendation is like if you are not an expert on doing a b testing and extracting these causality effects and data insights then don't do it because it's better to guide yourself through heuristics or good practices or or even well the most common case um, A-B testing also only works when you have millions and billions and billions of data. For very small samples, it's, it's not going to work. So you need to have uh, companies with millions of users or millions of interactions or triggers. Um, so it's, it's again, for small startups, A-B testing might not be the most essential tool. It might be better to have very strong heuristics, very strong good practices rather than than this A-B testing. You cannot A-B test your your market fit. You, you really need to do the discovery and the research. And also, I mean, something that I learned from, from, from peers that are from the academic, more academic field, uh, when you do research, you fail a lot of times. Like the most common scenario on a research academic setup is that you fail on your on your research assumption, and that's something that in the in, in when you work in the industry and in a development team, that is not not well understood, but also not well tolerated. You have to fail as less as possible, while research is by default most of the time failing, and then. This this one percent of time that you don't fail is when you learn a little bit. Um, so so yeah, I think there is research is is, is very academic and very um, it has another philosophy that the industry tries to include, but it doesn't fully fit uh, because different fit different different objectives etc. Um, at least that has been my experience. Like yeah, no. Great, obviously, answer there as well, Raquel, and great question. Really been interesting to hear about everyone's challenges and how you've actually solved them challenges as well. Amazing. So before we actually end the podcast today, I'd just like to say thank you so much to all of our guests for joining us. Today have been Bindia, the Head of Product Owner at Swedbank, Pontus, Design Director at Isato, and Raquel, Design Lead at Easy Park. So if you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Shania Oljukba and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at shania.oljukba at evolution-nordics.com or visit us online at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. 
Thank you again so much to all of our guests and hope you can join us next time.